Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another Nacho Tuesday. And today we have Sandeep, we have Michael, and we have Coco, uh, three very experienced uh, sales leaders. And today we're going to talk about sales trends in 2023. And without further ado, I'd love for you guys to introduce your companies, uh, starting with Sandeep. Thanks for that, Andy. Uh, hey guys, I'm Sandeep. I'm from Outplay. Uh, so Outplay was uh, a company that started off as a sales engagement platform, but uh, we have evolved quite a bit and uh, we're just not a sales engagement platform anymore. We are an all-in-one sales tool that helps you build uh, the top of the funnel. Uh, and we, we give you like the options of sales engagement, conversation intelligence, uh, scheduling your meetings, all of that in just one uh, single dashboard. So that's what Outplay is all about. Great. And Michael? Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Michael and I represent Apropos.io. So what Apropos does is actually we're pretty much Jira for software estimates. So uh, what our product does is that it standardizes and most, most importantly automates um, uh, software project estimates, which is uh, one of the very reasons why you can uh, win the deal, which is one of the subjects that we're discussing today. Great. And Coco, please introduce your company. Hey guys, nice, uh, nice to meet you all. Uh, and thanks for having me. Coco Zao here, uh, CEO and co-founder of Nimbler. See, I, I, I got a nice t-shirt today to kind of demonstrate what we do today. Uh, we're a Zoom group, uh, we focus on providing B2B salespeople, SDRs and marketers with high quality lead data uh, for their outbound campaigns, which includes uh, work emails that we verify in real time, personal emails and uh, high quality mobile Great. So, um, yeah, AI has been a hot topic lately, as you guys have all heard. Um, how do you guys see AI affecting sales for, for your teams and potentially other companies today? See, uh, AI is a double-edged sword, yeah? So I think uh, it can be used the right way. It can, it can go wrong if you're not using the right way as well. Uh, but I think uh, people are trying to crack it and start using the right way so that it, it helps them with efficiency. Today, a lot of people are talking about personalization. But uh, when, when it comes to at least the outbound side of sales, uh, when you're personalizing too much, you might, uh, uh, the scalability might get a hit. So uh, that's when uh, a technology like AI kind of helps so much more uh, for the salespeople. Uh, it helps them uh, also get information um, at scale uh, for different uh, per personas that they want to reach out to or different personas that you want to reach out to. So it kind of helps build efficiency in the system uh, if used the right way. I have also one example to share here uh, and to add my two cents to what something just said. Uh, I think it will really, um, literally revolutionize the things, but make uh, salesmen to be able to reply to, uh, to reply to RFPs or create proposals faster. Just to give you an example, uh, one week ago I was creating a proposal and um, in, in response to RFP, and one of the questions set in this uh, in this RFP that I had to answer was how do, how will you ensure that the software that will, uh, that you will build will uh, be as easy to integrate as possible? Normally, I would ask this type of questions to to my CTO, but he's a very busy guy, so I asked it to my new best friend ChatGPT and uh, tell you what he gave me and the answer. I showed it to my CTO, and my CTO actually said that. You know, they actually gave you a better answer than I, than I would. So uh, in my opinion, that's one of the practical examples how it can uh, evolve or take sales in, onto the next level. Great. How about you, Coco? You're the lead generation king with uh, uh, since you guys yeah. want to people saying it can add a lot of value to you if it's used the right way, but it's definitely not something that it's quite ready for you to rely on it completely. 
uh, you still need to, to do a job. It will help you be more efficient, obviously. But I think in the in the next uh, few months, in the next year, we'll see a lot more innovation uh, coming from players like Alpine, coming from players like us, uh, from everybody else that's in the space. So I think we are moving uh, closer to you know uh, allowing salespeople to actually do their job and sell versus uh, wasting time on other than having generated activities. Yeah, and as I mentioned in the last webinar that we did, you know, you can never really totally replace the human element. So you have to be careful there, right? People, you know, salespeople are still very much safe <laughs> uh, when it comes to AI, in my opinion, because people still like to buy from people. Uh, so, you know, it's very important to keep the salespeople on the front lines and keep uh, your, your sales outreach and everything that you do very authentic. Um, you know, that being said, you know, there's a lot of great AI tools out there that people could be using. A lot of people are using ChatGPT and other tools for, for say, AI AI based copywriting, uh, but you can get into a tough pickle there if you if uh, you rely on the tools too much and it comes across as into inauthentic because the uh, the AI doesn't you know properly read their profile or write uh, write a sentence that really you know, people are starting to get better at actually you know determining if uh, content's actually AI written or not, uh, so it could actually have a you know very negative effect if you don't implement it the right way. Uh, so with that said, do you guys have any strategies for people to implement AI into their organization? What would be the first step they could take? They could take? Uh, so first and foremost, I think uh, it needs to solve a problem. Yeah, if it's not going to solve a problem just because uh, some technology is there, it doesn't mean that it has to be implemented, right? So uh, first of all, we need to identify what is the problem area that they're trying to solve by implementing an AI solution. Um, and then if it, if it is actually solving for the problem, like example, like I'm, I'm going back to the same example of uh, the outreach process in terms of going out and, and doing the outbound and reaching out to prospects. Maybe writing the personalized emails is where people might take a lot of time. So if that is actually AI is going to help you solve that problem, then it makes sense for you to implement it. But also when you implement it, uh, be very sure, like how you said, Andy, uh, the, the end customer, the end prospect, uh, they are all getting very smart. They also understand uh, whether it's AI written or a, a human has actually gone ahead and done some research and written. So uh, I think there needs to be uh, one level of check till uh, we get to the space where we are completely confident that AI can do the job by itself. Uh, till then, we need to have like a, a check in place to make sure that whatever emails or anything, the content that is sending out prospects are double checked for uh, what kind of content is going out. Is it even resonating with the persona that they're sending to? All of that needs to be checked because uh, then, then we are trying to see that uh, if the technology that is being implemented is adding value or it's just a generic email that might just go out, again, not adding any value. So, so all that I think still needs to be uh, having a process in place, but, but only fix it if there's a problem. Certainly. And it could definitely ruin your reputation too if you do it the wrong way. So it's you know it's better to do things right, even if it's uh, you know you still are doing it manually, <laughs> the old classic way, uh, rather than rely on AI too much. <laughs> uh, what about you, Mike or Coco? Well, for me, just copy paste what Sandeep said. Uh, I mean, uh, implementing AI just for the sake of implementing AI because it's AI is is a waste of time, right? You will you will uh, you will spend a lot of time on it and get and get zero out of it. So. It should definitely there should definitely be a need to solve a specific problem with AI. That's one thing. Another example that I can give again from my niche, which is software development, is the one that I've uh, that I have already given five minutes ago. So, 
there's always a struggle, especially in software companies, to get uh, time off professionals, off professional developers, because they always have projects, they're always coding, coding, they're always doing everything, right? And to, they don't have that luxury to sit down with you and uh, explain you how software works for three hours. So instead of, uh, instead of not responding to an important question of your client that he set out in the RFP, uh, because your programmer didn't give you enough time, you can ask, uh, for example, ChatGPT about it. And probably for 99%, it will give you a very precise and a very um, robust answer. I mean, it did work for me pretty well. So uh, that's one of the examples how I would advise implementing AI in software organizations. Great. Now about you, Coco? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of good tools out there. I, I suggest just look at what's best for your business and what what improves your business. Uh, don't just add AI for the sake of, oh, we use this tool, you know. Uh, if there's a real need and it, it, it can make your life easier, go ahead and do it. But also, you know, keep in mind that AI is not perfect today, right? So always always um, spend an extra minute here and there to make sure that whatever you're generating is, is accurate because uh, there's nothing worse than, you know, pissing people off and, and smelling yeah. that you're just using AI. Homework. Certainly. And uh, Sandeep, what are your thoughts on other, you know, automation hacks that people can, can do today or have been doing over the last year that's, you know, regardless of AI, uh, what are some other automation tips that, that you would have for salespeople to kind of streamline their entire sales outreach and workflow? So uh, when it comes to sales, yeah, so today when it comes to outbound process, uh, the only risk that we run is uh, uh, at least for the SMB side of things, uh, the enterprise side, you do have intent data and all of that, but uh, we're not sure how accurate that is. Sometimes uh, sales reps might be knocking on the wrong doors. So how quickly can you move on and knock on the right doors? So for that, uh, you can identify certain things through automations in uh, tools like maybe Outlay itself. I'm just giving an example, but there are other tools as well that you can use. So you might be reaching out to about 100 prospects. Uh, you can identify who's engaging with you a lot more uh, by using these tools. So that what you can do is you can you can concentrate more on the ones that have engaged with you a lot more, and then and then uh, probably knock on the other doors at a later point in time. So this kind of gives the sales reps a more targeted approach. Uh, so identifying who your right prospects are, even through uh, the subtle hints that your prospects are giving you from time to time, and then automating them and making sure that they're going through a completely different workflow and not making uh, every prospect go through the same workflow kind of would help your sales rep. Uh, kind of uh, have that more targeted approach towards getting the right opportunities, building a bigger funnel. So all that, I think, if sales sales organizations can um, can start implementing within the the uh, system, then I think it'll make life easier for the outbound process uh, oriented sales reps at least. Great point. Um, so Coco, um, some things will never change in sales. You always are a big proponent of you know just sales are all about you know it's all about the people that you're selling to and the relationships are very key there. Uh, so what would you say are some time-proven techniques for sales that, regardless of all the latest trends that we have this year, are still always going to be important? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Now, when everybody's talking about uh, automation and all these this hacks, you know, for which you would use customer, do a secret uh, strategy that nobody's ever heard of. It's called a cold calling and texting, right? So people now think that they're, their entire job will be done by, by a platform that's automating email or outbound or whatever. But to be to be quite honest with you, cold calling works better uh, than ever right now because 
uh, most of the salespeople out there are just uh, lazy. They don't want to pick up the phone. They're they're intimidated, you know, uh, and this creates more opportunities for those who are willing to pick up the phone and, and dial. Uh, I, I can give you an example. The other day, I, I used our tool. We had a prospect. We actually gave them a demo, right? So I had their email. I could have followed up. I could have sent them an email. But instead of doing that, I went, uh, I went to our platform. I got their mobile number. I sent them a text, you know, and text is a good way because people are busy, you know, you, you need to communicate with them the way they want to communicate. Uh, so I sent them a text, they replied right away, and two days later, they were paying customers. And they were very impressed by that. And, and actually, it was their preferred matter of uh, communication going forward. So cold calling, texting people, getting access to high-quality mobile numbers is really important. Uh, having that multi-channel approach really helps in my opinion. That's a great point. In fact, uh, Andy, I would like to add on, add on to what uh, Coco said. I totally agree to what Coco said because uh, today a lot of reps are not very happy about picking up the phone and making a call. Uh, that's because uh, they kind of add the result to the whole cold calling aspect and not bring in a human element to it. Uh, so well, I think there should be like a shift in the mindset when uh, the reps are actually cold calling their prospects. Uh, they need to be in a situation to understand uh, that they're trying to have a conversation to see if someone's having a problem that they can solve for and uh, not kind of take it too personally and add a result to it that uh, if someone says no, uh, that doesn't mean that they're saying a no to them. That's just that they don't have a problem and they don't have anything to be solved there. So it's just about uh, bringing that human element that you're trying to call a human being and then only trying to solve the problem for them and not make it uh, a, a, just an opportunity or a, or a meeting that you want to book with that person. So I think once that kind of mindset change happens with reps, uh, they might be a little bit more open to taking the taking phone and, and calling people and then uh, might not be uh, so uh, irked by the, the negative responses that might they might get from the other end of the uh, call. Yeah, it's a very consultative approach, right? So you're there to help people at the end of the day and the better you can understand their problems and have that conversation with them, especially over the phone, a live conversation brings out so many more details and information than you could get over an email, which a lot of people just ignore, right? And the problem is, you know, we, we talk a lot about automation in this webinar where it's so easy to just do an automated email campaign and a lot of people rely on that, right? And a lot of people on the other side mm -hmm. also have a very automated approach to just say no. <laughs> and uh, you don't get the sale because of it. But if you just get on the phone and just uh, have that dialogue with people, I could actually solve the problem rather than, you know, it's easy for them to ignore you and it's easy for you to send more emails, but it's not necessarily more effective. Yeah, you're right. You, you can build a relationship uh, and express emotions via email, right? That's, that's very difficult to do. Uh, and calling somebody, talking to them, it gives you a real opportunity to make a good impression, to build a personal relationship and really qualify them very quickly if they're a right fit and if you can help them out. That way you're not wasting their time. You're not wasting your time, of course, and you can move on to the next opportunity. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but there is a, there is some sort of a new tool out there that's using AI to cold call people and generate the generate the you know the transcript and all that. And I got approached by people looking for mobile numbers. Uh, they're asking if I can you know help them out and give them the mobile numbers so they can cold call ten thousand people using that AI tool. And I was like, I. I think this is the dumbest, the dumbest idea. You know, it's been going around forever. We, we've we've had all the calls forever, right? Uh, there's nothing new. So I don't think that people appreciate having a robocall call, uh, 
cold selling and pitching you uh, on your personal phone. So my, my advice is if you if you cold call, do it do it personally. Get to understand who you're calling can personalize your approach. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point because when I get a call from a sales rep that's like you know that that uh, is personally calling me. I'm much more likely to notice that voicemail, for instance, and actually call the person back. Um, that with a you know personalized email outreach as well, kind of hitting me from two channels. Um, it's it's not really annoying actually. You know, I kind of appreciate that they're actually trying to communicate with me. Uh, but you know, everybody's relying on those automated dollars right now, and that's the first way to just really tune me out. And I just you know, from there on forth just say ignore that company. <laughs> you know, I might yeah. even report. <laughs> Um, so with that being said, uh, what, what other sales methodologies do you guys uh, do you guys encourage your team members to have? I mean, there's value-based selling, there's questions-based selling. Um, do you have any recommendations there that other people can follow? Definitely value-based selling. Definitely. So if, if uh, the end prospect uh, does not understand or see the value in your product, I don't think that conversation is going anywhere. So understand if, you're, uh, if your prospect needs the solution or has a problem that you can solve and then bring out the value that your product can bring to the table so that then it becomes so much more easier as a conversation. If that is not identified or brought to the table, I don't think uh, today's salespeople will go anywhere in, the, in terms of that opportunity or with their numbers. So I think value-based selling is, is any day top priority for, for at least my organization and and, uh, and whatever I've, I've been telling my reps, if you don't identify any pain point, if there's, it's not, it's not a qualified opportunity. So don't, don't start uh, investing more time there. I think the other rules are knock on. A lot of times people rely yeah, on Yeah, and one money. technique. Uh, Go ahead, Michael. Uh, yeah, and one technique that I have that I wanted to add to, that is a kind of um, an addition or an evolution of what, what, what uh, somebody just said is what I always tell my sales reps when they are going for a, a, for a call or for a meeting with the client that I, uh, is that I tell them, don't sell, and we even have uh, we have we even have it written with capital red letters uh, in our in our sales room. And what I mean by don't sell is that you know uh, a lot of salesmen when they go for a meeting with a client or when they engage in the conversation, they always like have this mindset that I have to sell something to this guy, I have to bring a contract, I have to you know uh, generate some revenue, uh, which of course at the end of the day is why we hire them, right? But uh, but if you approach a customer with this kind of mindset that I have to sell him something. That is a 100% guaranteed recipe that you ain't going to sell him anything. Because uh, how you should be thinking is you should be, uh, you should, you should be thinking how I, how I can help this guy. So pretty much, uh, pretty much what Sandeep said. Not how I should sell him, but uh, how I would talk to him if that was my buddy who is asking me, asking me for an advice and not the potential customer who has a five, uh, $500,000 budget, right? So... I'd say that's the key. Stop uh, if you want to sell. Stop selling, although it may sound cliche. Yep, you're there to so solve problems at the end of the day. And if your product doesn't help solve their problem, then it's not really your customer, right? So, you know, on to the next person. Um, but if you if you keep that strict focus on helping people solve their problems, and your product can actually do that, and you your your questions are pulling out that problem from them, and so you could better understand that and better align like how your solution could actually solve that problem. That's the way to make the connection and. Know, help them see value in your product. Exactly. Uh, Coco, any ideas about that as well? Uh, I mean, my only advice is uh, don't, don't skip uh, steps in the sales process. And, and the first one and most important step, it doesn't matter if it's a 
cold call or if it's a demo that you got from an inbound lead, uh, step one is qualify. It's yes, no, and then next steps. Now, that's, that's the first thing you need to do. And the way you do that is you, you ask questions and then you shut up and you listen. And, and, and you, you'll be able to quickly tell if there's a, there's a fit and if you should move forward. And getting no is almost as, as good as getting a yes. You know, there's no fit. This is not a good opportunity. Move on and focus on the right opportunities. That's a great point. Uh, Sandeep, what are the biggest bottlenecks in sales organizations today and how can they resolve them? Uh, so I think the biggest bottleneck I think in most sales organizations today uh, is getting reps to actually call. I think Coco covered a little, little earlier. But uh, most reps are afraid to call today. Like if I, if I take a number, I would say almost 50 to 60% of the reps don't call. And and that's that's exactly what I tell my team as well. Like uh, they might you today there is there is a very little uh, chance of a product being a monopoly in the market. So if you're there in the market, there are ten other players as well, a minimum of ten other players as well who are doing the same uh, thing that you are doing and offering the same solution that you're offering. Yep. So what makes the difference? Uh, knocking on the customer's door. Uh, you might be comfortable sending emails. You might be comfortable uh, sending messages on LinkedIn. But I'm sure the other ten. Uh, companies are also doing the reps and other 10 companies are also doing that. But if you take the number of reps who are actually calling, then uh, that number drops significantly when it compares when it compares to other competitors in the market. So I'm saying uh, try to stay on top of the calling. But I think uh, that kind of uh, takes a hit in most sales organizations because I think people, people relate their cold calling to uh, immediately getting a rejection. So they've not they've not changed their mindset of okay I'm going to have a conversation with someone just to see if they're they're open to uh, sharing if they have a problem if at all they have a problem then I'm seeing if my solution can solve that problem if not then we shake hands and move on. Yeah. And at but a minimum, starting with anybody that's trying to onboard to your platform, right? Get up, the, uh, pick up the phone, and call anybody that's signed up for for your platform as a as a minimum. And I think I think uh, to a, to a large extent. Uh, Sales managers also don't have visibility in terms of uh, how the calling is going, and uh, and cold calling is just not cold calling anymore. It's it's evolved as as well. I think there is a little bit of uh, uh, I would call it a warm call actually, because in certain ways, because you have so many channels in which you're trying to reach out to your prospect, uh, you might have emailed them a bunch of times, you might have reached out on LinkedIn some bunch of times, so they may have seen your brand and your sales reps names somewhere. So that one call that you are going to make is actually not a cold call anymore. So they are familiarized with your brand name and your salesperson's name somewhere. So, but it's just about having that conversation and seeing if we can solve the problem. I think uh, the visibility is missing in terms of whether that call is happening or not in certain cases. And sometimes the call doesn't happen. So I think uh, all of that needs to be uh, approached with a more human angle and then, and then not associating that with the result. Yes. Uh, would you recommend any tools that people can use for managing uh, outbound calls for their team? So they have like full transparency and analytics for who's doing what, maybe call notes. Absolutely. There are multiple tools, right? Even Outplay does it. Uh, but there are competitors out there who are also doing the same thing. So first, first and foremost, uh, a CRM is Outplay. Another tools like Outplay are not like CRMs. They are like something that sits on top of a CRM that helps you do the uh, whole outbound process. So I think having a sales engagement play, platform in place, not necessarily Outplay, but any tool that uh, kind of caters to this use case uh, will solve for this because it gives you the visibility. It also gives you a more targeted approach. So kind of helps you uh, build that, uh, mm -hmm. that 
momentum and also the calling and encouraging people to do that. Then managers also have that visibility in terms of what's happening with each rep. So I think having a tool like that in place would solve for your use case. That's a great point. Um, so they say time kills deals, uh, Michael. So what would you recommend for you know helping your reps close a deal, getting it done right, and getting it done fast? Uh, so they don't miss out on an opportunity. Sure. So what I always say is that uh, the sales pipeline, of course, it consists of many stages, but the two, uh, you can group them into two like super stages. The first one is getting shortlisted. And the second one is getting picked out of the companies or out of the competitors that have been shortlisted, right? And there are different factors that matter on each of this stage. So uh, for example, for getting shortlisted, your customer is not interested in seeing a perfect proposal or a perfect, super detailed price. Your customer is not interested in understanding whether it's going to cost $574.13. He is interested to understand whether it's going to cost 10, 100, 1,000, or 10,000, just to see if you uh, if if you guys are uh, pretty much uh, the match in terms of, you know, um, ethics of work, budget, etc. So um, I'd say on, the, on this very first stage, when you, uh, when you don't really have the time, uh, and other companies work with each other to uh, fight with each other to secure pole position in the race for the client, don't be perfect. So learn what is good enough. Learn what your customer needs at this very stage. Because if you will uh, spend working two weeks for creating a proposal that is an Olympic winner game, it might win Olympics, but it will not win you a client. So just uh, learn what's good enough uh, and uh, focus on... Focus on getting uh, getting your 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 client on the call, on getting into relationship with him, understanding what's his problem, and providing him a solution that is good enough at this stage. And then, when you get shortlisted, then you can master your proposal and uh, whatever and provide your client with whatever materials you want. So that's the advice that I would give. Great. And uh, Coco, getting to the right decision maker is key. And uh, you know, obviously, someone that runs your platform with a you know a large lead database. What would you recommend for um, any business owner or salesperson to get to the right, uh, the right ideal customer, um, you know, what process would you recommend for that? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's extremely important. Right? Uh, narrowing down your ideal customer profile is step one before you start any campaign or outreach because it doesn't matter how good the lead data is or the automation of the content, you reach out to 100 people that they're, they don't, they're not a good fit, they don't match your ICP, then you, you're not going to get any. Interaction. So, really, two things that, that I would recommend. Uh, the easy one is if you've already been in business, right, and you have 10 customers, 100 customers, 500 customers, um, and you onboard a new, new salesperson, it's pretty easy to go and be like, hey, let me show you some of our best customers. This is what they do. This is the industries. This is the use case that they have. This is the problem that we solve for them. Go and find their competitors. Go and identify all the similar companies like that. Uh, and, and reach out to them. Then when you do that and when you reach out to, to a similar company that you already work with, you have a lot more credibility, right? Uh, and you know you can support them. You have customers that are happy, they're in the same niche, same industry. So that, that's really the easiest way to go after your ideal customers. But not every company out there, not every salesperson out there has um, the privilege uh, of uh, having existing customers, right? Maybe you just started uh, new company, new business, new service, uh, and it's a little bit more difficult. So in that case, I'll start with the use cases, identify who is more likely to to have the problem that you solve, 
uh, and then you start narrowing it down. Obviously, you want to go after the decision makers, identify their pain points, um, because not everybody is your customer, uh, and a lot of startups, uh, salespeople make the mistake to think that everybody is their customer. I mean, we call that we're like, even without like, right? you're a B2B outbound sales platform, but not everybody is your customer that's in B2B, right? So, um, somebody told me once, hey, who do you think is the, the ICP for, um, uh, for Amazon? And, you know, somebody else said, oh, everybody's their ICP, everybody's Amazon's customer, but Amazon knows that not everybody's their customer, and they focus on the specific uh, persona that they go after. Uh, so, Really, that's the mistake that a lot of people make, thinking that everybody could be their ideal customer first, uh, and then they can get discouraged. Yeah, and it's much easier to land and expand. Um, they call it like a beachhead method, I guess. Uh, I so finding that. a really, really niche customer, especially if you're an early stage startup, uh, getting a very niche customer, serve those people, then you could figure out how to expand other, uh, expand that that profile to a you know a wider audience base. And I'm sure Amazon is a great example, actually. By the way, they started selling books. Right. So their customer was people that were interested in buying books online as opposed to going in the store. Now they have pretty much everything <laughs> and their ideal customer profile for AWS is going to be different than their ideal customer profile for the marketplace buying shoes. <laughs> uh, so that's a great point. Um, so, Michael, a lot of inexperienced uh, business professionals don't understand contracts well. Uh, so if we we're going to give a crash course today, what would you recommend to look out for in these contracts? especially when it comes to software contracts. There's a lot of gotchas in there. Well, the first and the biggest advice that I would give here is read them. So that's my number one advice for every, con uh, for every contract, start reading them. Uh, and the second advice that will, uh, that will help you as well is understand and really believe that all what's written in there will be used either in your favor or against you. Like sooner or later, is it will happen. So stop believing that, you know, that it will always that things will always be good and uh, and they will never break uh, because ultimately that's what the contracts are for they are for the bad times right so uh, I can guarantee I can promise you that it will happen to you sooner or later that uh, you will you will have to uh, refer to the contract in in some dispute right so in such case it's better that you have this contract uh, written in a way that uh, that it's that it, that, it, that it helps you. And the first advice that I would give here is uh, it's always good to review them with the lawyers, but you have to be careful what lawyer you pick because uh, if you pick a lawyer who doesn't understand the industry or is just, you know, too scrupulous, he may as well kill the deal because he will bring up 50 comments out of which 48 refer to things that, that, that generally never happen or are totally, uh, totally irrelevant for this particular client. And you will spend next three or four months um, fighting with client uh, over each of these comments, while you could have as uh, well while you could have as well comment on uh, three, four, maybe five items that are really critical and prone to happening. So these are the top three advices that I would give out of my experience to any entrepreneur who starts business and uh, yeah, and uh, hasn't yet hasn't yet. Uh, tasted this bitter side of, uh, of legal stuff. Yeah. And if, uh, if you're going to look at a couple sections, you could just, you know, glance down to, and, uh, you know, shortcut the whole thing. <laughs> Obviously the termination clause is very important. Uh, what other clauses would you recommend that people, you know, beeline towards if they want to just get, you know, put in 20% of the effort to understand 80% of the contract? Sure. 
So for sure, determination. Uh, the second thing would be what are the rules for the, what are the reasons for termination? If there are any, if there are given any specific reasons. The other things uh, I would definitely uh, recommend checking is um, are, are the are the commercial terms, but not really the rate card because that's obvious. I mean, uh, who pays for what? So of course, you know, especially in software contracts, you have fixed price, you have time and materials, you have team leasing, etc. So uh, in case if the project goes over the budget, who pays for it? Right? That's 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 very important. And one one advice that I uh, that I do have here, also especially for young entrepreneurs, is uh, add to all your contracts uh, consent for the client that he consents to use his or their logo or a project description as a form of case study because that will, that will massively help your business. Uh, the thing is that if you will put it in the contract by default and the client will read it, he will most probably just you know scan it with eyes and, and just agree with it. Uh, so just have it in, your, uh, in all your default contracts. That will really massively help you uh, gain future customers because you will have case studies and uh, some big brands that you will be able to brag about. That's a great point. Uh, can I can I ask you a question, Michael? Because you spoke about content. Uh, uh, when I've been an individual contributor, now I'm a sales leader. Uh, still, this class kind of keeps coming up with most uh, uh, deals that we're trying to close. Uh, at least I would say it's a 50-50. Uh, people talk about indemnification. Then uh, there's a breach in terms of uh, data or, or anything. Yeah. Uh, indemnification becomes like a, a clause that most people want uh, coverage. Some people ask for unlimited indemnification, and and some people are okay with a limited uh, indemnity. So, I'm how not. do you handle that? How do you see how do you, how do you see that as a, a challenge when it comes to uh, contracts? Sure. sure. So, uh, of course, now it depends uh, what kind of contract are you reviewing because it may be a contract for product and it may be a contract for service. In terms of service. Well, you know, uh, actually, I never had a situation uh, in service contracts where the, where the clients uh, wanted uh, unlimited indemnification. I mean, uh, for example, to uh, for the, for the entire contract uh, contract amount, right? Usually, how we solve it is that we agree with the client that the maximum indemnification uh, can be up to, depending on the client, up to three or uh, six months uh, of the um, of the recently paid fees. So that is maximum that we agree. We usually, practically, we usually never go uh, above three months. But, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, things would have to go really, really downwards and uh, like really, really down downwards for the client to ever use it. I mean, it would mean that you effectively are, uh, you know, uh, having very, very bad relationship, are threatening, threatening each other and so on. Because usually when, uh, when things get a little bit worse, uh, and I had the situation uh, one or two times in my in my in my uh, in my career at different companies. It usually just ends uh, with uh, with some sort of um, with some sort of mutual agreement about how you're going to uh, to settle the things, right? And uh, you know, at the end of the day, these guys are people as well. Their business is not to chase you and to go with you to the court because it's costs money, it costs time, which is even more valuable than money. So they usually will just want to be treated fair. So uh, that's how we handle it. I mean, usually up to three months uh, worth of fees, but realistically we never ever situation, I never ever had a situation when a client was even referring to this clause. 
great points. Well, um, guys, thanks again for uh, joining us today uh, to discuss uh, sales trends in 2023. Now we talked a lot about a, a lot of very exciting automation and AI things, as well as other you know trends for sales today. But uh, you know nobody should ever forget that sales is really just about people helping other people. Uh, so that's you know another key concept that I really believe came out of this conversation. And you know I think still, regardless of everything happening out there in the market with technology, uh, people just you know you got to pick up the phone and call people have that personal relationship and just be there to actually help people solve their problems. And that's the key to success in your sales organization. Um, so once again, uh, thank you so much, guys. Uh, everybody should check out their products in the B2B SaaS marketplace. Uh, so we have them all listed there. We have Outplay, Apropos, and Nimbler available today for, uh, for a nice little cashback in the Nacho Nacho B2B SaaS marketplace, uh, the number one place to manage, discover, and save on SaaS. And once again, Sandeep, Michael, and Coco, appreciate you guys coming on today and uh, look forward to working with you guys long-term. Likewise, thank you very much for this wonderful opportunity, Andy. Great, thank Thanks you so much. Nice meeting you, Michael, Coco. Have a nice day. Nice meeting you. Bye.